Today's message is <clears throat> along this theme um, that uh, we've been talking about. The title of the message is Do Not Be Afraid. And, and really what I want to try to engage in this message is uh, specifically um, how do we respond in our hearts to what is happening in Ukraine and how do we respond in our hearts, not just to Ukraine, but, but the possibility of a wider war, the possibility of economic downturn, the possibility of, of, of hardships, um, not just there, but here, and the fears about what this means for the future. If you've looked at the news at all in the last two weeks, you can't have missed what Katie brought to us this morning to our attention, the, this invasion that began just 10 days ago today, um, and as she told us so well, Ukraine's a huge nation. It is the second largest nation in all of Europe. The only larger nation by landmass is Russia. So Ukraine is bigger than Germany, it's bigger than France, it's bigger than England by landmass, 44 million people. So this is a big deal. It is, from an earthly point of view, it is the biggest war in Europe since World War II, and many folks are concerned about a wider war uh, developing. So, you know, and when we think about the context in a nuclear age with pestilence of COVID still hovering, with uh, Israel reconstituted after nearly 2,000 years, just as scripture said Israel would be reconstituted and threatened by her neighbors, just as scripture said she would continue to be threatened by her neighbors, with massive ideological change in the West, in our own country, in terms of Judeo-Christian worldview being really inverted in some significant ways we've never seen before. A lot of people are wondering about prophetic fulfillments lining up to usher in end times catastrophe preceding the second coming. Other people think we're getting too far ahead to, to think in those terms. And, and it's true that in America, in my lifetime, uh, easily, the sort of the game of name the Antichrist <laughs> of the decade or of the year. It's, it's a game that's been pr probably played by devout believers just about every decade since Hitler came on the scene. Uh, I'm sure, you know, if I talk to somebody who is an adult before that, they would be able to name you some people. But, but, but barring a miracle, there's no getting around this present crisis is going to be here for a good while and it's gonna more than likely continue to develop. And, and if things get worse before they get better, there'll be no decrease and opportunities for us and for our neighbors around us to worry and to wonder what is going to happen with all this. What's going to happen in the days to come? Now, for the Christian, I want to be clear um, to say something at the outset so you don't, don't misunderstand me. End time studies, studies of the last things or the events that precede the Lord's coming, they are very valuable they're uh, done in the right spirit. They're very holy. They're commanded uh, that the Lord would have us know these issues and, and engage them. So please don't hear me saying this morning, don't study end times theology. That is not what I'm saying and all I'm going to bring before you. But, but I also think that questions about the weeds of the when and the where and the how must get in line before other fundamental truths and commands of the Lord. 
And, and, and when we get those fundamental truths in the commandments of the Lord in the right order, then we can more safely and more sanely study those other questions, these secondary questions of dates and times and nations. <clears throat> in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us an example of this. The, the disciples are anxious to know what's going to happen in the future. They're leaving the temple complex for the last time before Jesus' arrest. And they're saying, you know, Jesus just said this. They're like, Lord, look at this temple structure. It's glorious. It's amazing. Jesus says it's all going to be knocked down. Not one stone will be left on another that won't be knocked down. And they say, oh my gosh, Lord, when is this going to happen? And what will be the signs of your coming? And at the end of the age, and Jesus gives them this very broad tapestry of much of the end of the age, including the, the reality and the tone of, of the age since he's left. He tells them that earthquakes will come, famines will come, false messiahs will come, nations will rise against nations, lawlessness will increase, love will decrease. And, and he tells them about their own martyrdom, their own deaths at the hands of, of kings and rulers. It's a dramatic and sobering picture he gives. But, but he says this, I don't want to say funny, but paradoxical thing right in the midst of all of it. Verse 24, 6, he says, and you will be hearing of rumors and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. False messiahs, earthquakes, famines, lawlessness, betrayal, war and rumors of war. And in the middle of all of that, this command that we might be forgiven for thinking is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. The great Greek phrase here means that. Don't be alarmed. It means don't be disturbed. Don't be disquieted. Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These things are going to happen. Don't be afraid. Jesus means this. So for the rest of this morning, I want to try to unpack, well, why does Jesus mean this? How, how do we get there? Amidst the upheaval and things that we see happening, things that we're afraid might happen. How do we not be afraid? How do we not be terrified and alarmed? <clears throat> As the main text for this morning, the rest of this morning, to kind of help us find fuel for that lack of terror, lack of fear, being able to walk with hope and courage. I want to use a text from Luke 12. I'm going to break it up into two parts. Um, it's all good, but for the sake of time, I want to try to capture it in two major chunks. So I'm going to read that, and, um, and you will see it up on the, up in the PowerPoint as I do. These are the very words of the Lord. Luke 12, verses 4 to 8, and then I'll read Luke 12, verses 22 to 30. All part of the same discourse. Starting in verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten. Before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. 
And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now starting in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are to wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a day to his life's span? Therefore, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other things? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink and do not keep worrying for all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. And your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom and these things will be provided to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. Because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Lord, these words are so wonderful and awesome. Help me not get in the way. Lord, help me to honor them and you. I need so much help to do that. And help, Lord, everyone here this morning hear from you be fed and nourished, spiritual food by you. Oh, be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So from this text, I want to draw out three reasons we can see here uh, not to be afraid. Three reasons not to be afraid in the midst of what's happening, what might happen. First one is we should not be afraid because... Eternal matters dwarf temporal matters. Eternal matters dwarf temporal matters. The entire New Testament, the heart and words of Jesus, the heart and the words of his apostles, and indeed the central theme of the entire scripture is that eternal matters dwarf temporal matters. All that God has done throughout history, the miracles, the sending of his prophets, the sending of his son, the cross, the apostles' lives and their martyrdom, all the godly saints for 2,000 years who have sacrificed everything even to their lives, 
It, it all cries out one thing. What is eternal is infinitely more important than what is temporal. And so here in Luke, Jesus as an antidote to the wrong kind of fear asks us to have the right kind of sober reality honoring fear. Fear the Lord. Don't fear people. Don't fear this world. Fear the Lord. He calls us to invest in our, our primary hope and our focus in eternity, not on the fears and anxieties of what threatens us in this short life. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the son of man will confess him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. A day is coming for Vladimir Putin, for President Zelensky, for President Biden, for President Trump, for you, for me, when the wars and the rumors of war in this world, they're going to seem like ghost stories told at a campfire when we were five that we can barely remember. One moment in all of our lives, everything that we can see and hear here on this planet, in this existence, is going to melt away from our consciousness as we step into eternity. And we're going to be awake like we've never been awake before to what is eternal. And in that moment, what will matter to Putin and Zelensky and Biden and you and me, what will matter infinitely more than anything else that's ever mattered to us is what we have done with Jesus Christ. What we have done with Jesus Christ. So Jesus says to us this morning, And I dare to say, as a person who's not suffering, who's not in crisis right now, with humility and respect, what he would say to everyone in Ukraine right now. Do not be afraid of what Putin or Biden or Trump or Z or anyone can do to you. Instead, have a healthy fear of reverence for the eternal realities that you will face today or one day, but for certain that you will face. I don't have the whole quote, but C.S. Lewis in his book, Learning in Wartime, makes this amazing point that wars do something in, in, in some way that's actually, um, in a sad way, kind of healthy. They, they make very present and unavoidable the, the truth of the frailty and the fragility of our lives. That's always true, but that we can ignore so easily. And what the Lord calls us to do is to try to take that reality of eternity, whether we're in wartime or we're in a comfortable church in Frederick, and hold it before ourselves. Ask the Lord to keep it before our eyes, for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters who need to endure 
and for those around us who don't have Jesus and need to hear from him and need our prayers and need our witness. And Jesus, in a sense, tells us here in this verse, compassionately but soberly, disarm the wrong kind of fear with the right kind of fear. Don't be afraid of this world and its threats. Fear dishonoring me. So honor me. Seek to honor me. Pray for grace to honor me. Fear straying from my gospel. Fear it so much that you fight to cling to it. To not let it go. Pray for grace to cling to it, not let it go. Fear becoming cold to my love. Fear it so much that you fight to keep your relationship with me warm and close and not play around with neglecting me. As we've talked about for so many weeks with all the trivial phones and TV shows and movies, some of which are just fine. You know, I don't want you to, to tell you, you, you know, you have to throw your phones in the trash or you, you can't watch Marvel movies. That's not what I'm saying. You can be careful about all that stuff. But don't go to those places and neglect your Lord. Don't play with that kind of fire. More, Lord, may give us grace, none of us to play with, myself, to, to not play with that kind of fire, to not neglect the most important, most fruitful relationship I could ever have. Jesus says, don't be afraid of people. Be afraid of God, of denying him, of leaving him, of giving up on him. Be so afraid of it that you pray again and again that you never would and that you would have grace to endure. Because this life is a vapor. It is a mist. And you brothers and sisters know the older you get, the more you experience that truth of how quickly things pass. Secondly, we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid because the God who loves us is also sovereign over us. The God who loves us is also sovereign over us. Going back to Luke 12, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all number, numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I think I've told my kids and my wife lately, <laughs> you're more valuable than a lot of birds. <laughs> like, like what a compliment, you know? Thanks, Jesus. You are more valuable than birds. Many of them. Are you serious, Lord? Like, even many birds? Yes. <laughs> Thanks. There is a number of birds when things even out, though. <laughs> Do you want to know, Peter, what number of birds <laughs> you're worth? I mean, I can see that conversation going on and on and on. I see Jesus. I don't know that he was. I see him smiling as he says this. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And me and my father know exactly. But now Jesus is speaking of sparrows that were sold to worshipers in the temple. And they were not as much money as like the goats and the lambs you might buy. They were the poor man's offering. 
For those who couldn't afford the best sacrifice, God had made provision that if you can't sacrifice a lamb, you can buy a really cheap bird and give it to the priest to sacrifice. Less than half a penny for a bird. And yet, listen, the sparrow is so important to God that he remembers every one. When you see the birds flying today, God is, knows about that sparrow. He's aware of it. He ordains its days. He says, not a sparrow falls to the ground. Jesus says, apart from my father's will. So he's saying, what an, what, what an insignificant, un, un, from the world standards, inexpensive, unvaluable being. And God says, Jesus says to us, how much more do you made in my image, bought with my blood, matter to my father. God cares about you so much that he knows every single hair on your head. And if you're losing your hair, I see some of you are, like me, don't worry. The point is not to have enough hair for God to count. He knows how to count even your absent follicles. The point is, If God watches over the destiny of such things that we consider worthless and arbitrary, if he's aware about each hair on your head, is he going to forget to watch over your precious life? Psalm 139, 16 proclaims, Every day ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came to be. Every day written for me, David says, every day was written in your book before one of them came to be. Including the day you would sit here and hear these words. If God is the God who the psalmist says keeps track of all your sorrows and collects your tears in his bottle and has the scripture says, recorded each one in his book. Then we can entrust what happens to us with regards to wars and rumors of war and jobs and cancer and car accidents. Which brings up a good point here. This doesn't mean we won't face pain or injury or death. Jesus is not promising that here. In these contexts of these passages, Jesus promises these disciples or some of them are going to die for him. Tradition tells us that the men who first heard these words, these disciples, these 12, that they were all murdered except for John. So God's sovereign love, his sovereign care doesn't mean we don't go through pain and suffering. It means we don't face it by accident. It means we won't be victims of human error. It means we aren't victims of nature's whims. It means we won't be pawns of men and their cruelty at the bottom of all things. Because behind human error and nature's whims and men and their cruelty is a sovereign God who allows, permits, or ordains all things. And we won't face anything unless he has allowed it. And if he has allowed it, he will be with us through it. 
If he has allowed it, he will be with us through it, sustaining us and caring for us. In John 16, Jesus promises, there are two promises here. In this world, you will have trouble. Promise one, promise two, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So take heart, don't be afraid. Now, Jesus is not talking when he says, I've overcome the world and don't be afraid. He's not talking about the world of sunsets, of beautiful days, of newborn children, of delicious food and beautiful music. No, he, he wants us to receive all that. He means the world where sinful people dominate and oppress. He means the world where death reigns. And at the end of our lives, apart from Christ, we spend an eternity without him, without God. That's the world he has overcome. Jesus has overcome for you and for me every reason why God would abandon you and me to this world where sin reigns over hearts and death reigns over bodies. Jesus has overcome every reason why God would abandon you to that world, to this world of sin and death. Through his death on the cross, Jesus has paid for and taken away your guilt before him for every sin. And therefore, he has disposed, he has done away with every reason why God would abandon you to your sin or abandon you eternally to the sin of others or to the trouble eternally of the condemnation facing this world. Do you guys understand that? what the cross has accomplished? Jesus has taken away every reason why you would be abandoned to this world of sin and death. And not only has he taken away those reasons, because those reasons aren't in his way, he says, I will be with you in your trouble and I will get you through your trouble. Whether it's persecution or cancer, or martyrdom at the hands of the state or betrayal from your closest companion. I will be with you. Do not be afraid. I will endure in you. I will endure through you. Lastly, we should not be afraid because it pleases our heavenly father to give us the kingdom. This is beautiful. It pleases our heavenly father to give us the kingdom. Verse 20 through to the end of the passage today. Jesus says to his disciples, for this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you're to eat, nor for your body as to what you're to wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have no storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan. Therefore, if you cannot do even a little thing, why do you worry about other things? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. Your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom and all these things will be provided to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. Because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. In this part of our text today, Jesus is seeking to give comfort and courage to his disciples as they face their fears about what it's going to be like to be his missionaries. He's told them that people will hurt them someday. Many of them, a lot of people will hate them. He's told them all that and he's saying, don't be afraid of it because God's giving you a kingdom and it's actually his deep pleasure. It's his desire to give you this kingdom that's going to overcome every other kingdom that's against you. And he's trying to give them courage to lose their lives for his kingdom purposes so they can find their lives. Each one of them, these apostles is going to be called to a mission to the end of the earth, literally to save and preserve souls for the kingdom. Now, real quick, a little background on the kingdom. The kingdom is the realm where God's rightful and good rule is manifest. The kingdom of God is the realm where his rightful and good rule is made clear, is realized fully. Okay. <laughs> I heard a little music. It was fun. That's nice. All right. So we have all been there. I mean, right. Um, so the kingdom is the realm where God's rightful and good rules manifest. So when we pray, for instance, in the Our Father, like we prayed today, your kingdom come, we say on earth, please let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because even though God's kingdom is fully realized in heaven, it's not fully realized yet on earth. Sin and death are not yet fully driven out. The kingdom realities of God's perfect rule and his perfect love, his perfect goodness, making all things perfect. It's not fully realized here. Duh, right? But it is up in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, God is going to give that to you, men and women. God is giving that to you. He wants that for you to be in a kingdom where with him you reign and with him everything is healed. Everything is whole. Love and justice reign. Hope and joy reign. Provision and health reign. That's the kingdom he's giving. And, and God has given his people the mission of establishing that kingdom through the salvation and preservation of souls. That's what we're to be about. These disciples 
are to spend themselves not on storing up riches for this life, but seeking the establishment of God's kingdom that will eventually conquer all in the souls of other people through the gospel proclamation. Because the kingdom starts not outside, but it starts inside in our hearts. The death blow to sin begins in our hearts. The death blow to death begins in our hearts through the gospel, through hearing the gospel, believing the gospel. Sin and death is destroyed in our hearts progressively over our lives, but absolutely from the moment we're saved. And that's the beginning of God's kingdom being established. It starts inside. Eventually it's going to, it's going to go everywhere. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God as the, wa- as the waters cover the sea. But it starts in here and works its way out. So this mission that God's giving these apostles is this mission to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people. And he's going to finish it by establishing it everywhere. And what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, everything you need, be it food or clothing or shelter, will be taken care of by my Father for you as you give yourself to this mission to seek and save the lost and to preserve the saved. Right? We care for those inside the church as well as those outside the church. We don't want to bring people into the kingdom and see them lost out of the kingdom again through giving up and apostatizing. And so we disciple the disciples. But we also, God's kingdom is a kingdom to bring more and more of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And so we want to spend ourselves on reaching those who don't have Jesus and reaching outside our walls as a church. And Jesus is promising that as we give ourselves to that mission, In the church and outside the church, he will take care of everything we need. Everything. Maybe you're not called to world mission to go to Ecuador, like Elizabeth Elliot. Most of us are probably not, but we're all called by God's grace to open our hearts to that or to anything that he would have us do because we're all called to this mission to make and mature disciples of Jesus to save the lost and to preserve the saved to save the lost and to preserve the saved. And we each do that in various ways, praying, giving, counseling, the witness of our lives with our coworkers and our family members, the witness of our words about the gospel But as we give ourselves to that kingdom work, God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Everything you need, I'm going to preserve you. As long as I have work for you to do, fruitful labor on this earth, I will take care of you. And when you're done, I'll take you out. (laughs) I'll take you home. And you'll be so glad. Like, really glad. You'll get over here and you'll say, oh, could it have been earlier, please? (laughs) 
And he gives this beautiful, tender promise. This is so beautiful. I mean, I just, this is what I love about Jesus and, and why, like, a part of, like, why these words just scream out, this is true to me. You know, he's just such a bad dude. Like, on the front end of this passage, do not fear he who kills the body and can do nothing else. Fear him who can kill the body and soul and health. Yes, fear him. He's not pulling any punches, right? He's like, listen, you better know who your dad is. He's not kidding around. And then the rest of it is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, tender little flock. I love you. I'm going to be faithful to you. Don't be afraid. Seek my kingdom. My father has chosen to give you this kingdom. It's his good pleasure. He loves to give to you the things you need. As you seek his kingdom, we're his little flock. We're his fragile jars of clay people. And his tender care is on us. Not many of us are noble. Not many of us are rich. Not many of us are strong. Not many of us are wise according to the ways of this earth. He chooses the weak things to shame the wise. He chooses the things that are not to shame those things that are. And what a beautiful truth that is. To be his little flock, to be his fragile jars of clay, keeps us from pride, right? (laughs) And listen, brothers and sisters, wars and rumors of war, they're no match for his care. And I know I say that not in a bomb shelter, but in a cozy church in Frederick. But his promise is here. It doesn't depend on my circumstance. And so, whether I'm in a cozy church in Frederick or whether I'm in a bomb shelter with you next year for some sad reason, he is able to give you and I the grace to not just boast in him when it's cozy, but to be able to boast in him when it's hard. He has the grace to give you. He's asking you to believe him that on this day. He has the grace for today when it's cozy. He has grace. And he has all kinds of ways of making today not so cozy for you, right? We know that. But in a year when it's not so cozy, maybe gas is $15 a gallon or who knows? The grid is down because satellites have been destroyed and we're all, there's no more lemonade and Snapple and Starbucks. It's just, we're grateful for water out of buckets. I don't know. I don't know. But I know he's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's going to care for us. And we're going to be his tender flock. He's going to love us. He doesn't give us all the answers. He just gives us himself. So wars and rumors of war are no match for his care. They're not to terrify us or steal away our pursuit of his kingdom work. He'll give us himself. He's all we need. Amen. Let's pray together.